If you are here for the first time tonight, we really do thank you for trusting us even for a one-off, um, hanging with us in your own spiritual growth and maturity. This may not be your home, this may never become your home, but maybe there is some key God component to you being here tonight. My name is Chris with my wonderful wife Meryl, with Tyler and Haley and Caleb and Sam and David and Maddie and a bunch of people. We set out on a journey of building community about five and a half years ago, and it has been a remarkable ride. The lows were during COVID. We didn't know if we would make it. We guesstimated at one stage we were maybe down to about 30 peeps, but doing life together in a community was worth it, even if there was 30 of us. And uh, it has been such a joy to see the hand of God on this journey. So welcome. If this is your first visit, if it's your second, I trust that God keeps ministering to you. Our desire is not to count bottoms or bums on chairs. We want to do life together in honesty and transparency as Christ breaks into our world. I love Jesus more today than I did when I met him in 1976, December of that year, as a freshman at college. The next year, I was still a freshman at college. I, it was so good, they asked me to do it twice. They said, you are such a value added to our university. Would you do it again? And I said, you know, I will happily do it a second time. And for 45 years or thereabouts, I have just fallen so deeply in love with Jesus and so deeply in love with His church. I, I cannot fully express the sense of gratitude I carry for just how good God is. To me, look at the room. Look at these beautiful people. In 10 years' time, probably we'll all be scattered across the globe doing all sorts of wonderful things for Jesus. This is a window of time where God joins us together in holy community and fashions us and forms us in the tension and stresses of relationship so that we can be ready for the next and then the next and then the next. And uh, Meryl and I have the privilege, because we've been doing this for 40 years, that every now and again we'll get a text, an email, a thread, a LinkedIn, something from someone somewhere in the world who said, thank you, I was at Glenridge for a year, Southlands for three, or whatever. And now I am in The Hague, I am in Belgium, I am in wherever, India. And just for a little window of time, we had a brief divine connectivity in which we did life together. But it's never only for now, it's always for then. Always preparing us. Many of you are single. And maybe the only reason why God has brought you into this community is to come and watch some marriages that are real, that are authentic, that are true, but that are Jesus-filled. Maybe that's the only reason. Maybe you find our talks boring and predictable. Maybe our worship isn't as zhuzhi as it might, that you might want it to be. Maybe the only reason you are here is to give you hope again. That you lost hope for marriage. It was a dying institution was the way you argument, uh, argued it. And suddenly by seeing real people doing life together in the wonder of community, thought, well, maybe, maybe. I've sat with two men, not in this community, who have said to me, please don't use the word family because that is a cuss word to me. I hate the language. I hate the practice. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But don't even speak about the church as family. So deep was his trauma. 
And so if we could invite you in to see something that will restore hope to you, then it's worthwhile. And uh, thank you for being here with us tonight. We are stumbling our way through four anchor ideas of a deeper walk with Jesus. That's really what it is. Tyler said, I listened to Tyler yesterday, Meryl did today, and thought it was a delightful time. Um, but it really is kind of ways in which we can get deeper with Jesus. And so it's conviction, confession, consecration, and communion. I'm sorry, I'm driven by alliteration. I alliterate without thinking. But these are four pieces that we're not that familiar with. Even if you walk with Jesus for a while, if I had to say, stand up, Brandon, no, he'd be a, too good of an example. Um, who, 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 who? Uh, Non-college people. And say, what does consecration mean? You'd probably look and say, is it a band? Is it like, a, a, you know, a festival in L.A.? Is, is, well, I have no idea. I, I don't know what it means. And so we want to take some time to explore the conversation around these four big ideas and then talk about them in our table communities during the week. And Tyler did such a great job last Sunday, and I really do mean that. I'm not saying that uh, just for the sake of it. But I want to read with you, and it's on the screen, um, two passages of Scripture that will kind of give us the basis for our conversation around confession. The first is in 1 John. John had walked with Jesus. I'm always compelled by his writings because I want to meet a man who knows a man. Paul never met him, at least not in the flesh. That doesn't mean that his writings are less relevant. But I want to know who leaned on the very breast of Jesus the night before he was betrayed. I, I want to meet the man who said of himself, I'm the most loved of all the disciples. Unashamedly compelled about the love of Jesus in his own fragile life. This is the message John writes. This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie. This is gender, a gentle, tender language. And yet it's bold and in our face. If we say that we know him, but we continue to walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, He is light, we have fellowship with one another. Do you understand the foolishness of those who believe I can be a Christian without fellowship? It reeks throughout the text. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we will have fellowship with each other deep koinonia, deep union, deep partnership, deep honesty, deep transparency. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. All sin. No sins left untouched. No sin too bad, too dark, too light. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just if, if, if we confess our sins. If we don't, we tie His hands and we effectively disenable God to be faithful and just in our lives and will forgive us our 
sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgive and purify. Forgive and purify. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. James chapter 5, please. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another that you may be healed. You may be forgiven. You may be cleansed. You may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Note the each other. It's not only confess your sins to God. I was so interesting in my preparation for this time. I pulled out a pile of theological books to go through 1 John. And it amazed me, even Martin Lloyd-Jones in his big, thick, six-part series on 1 John was very light in his handling of confession one to the other. The evangelical reform position is way more confess your sins to God, and that's fine. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer will, in a moment, give us a window as to why there is power we confess our sins to each other. For the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. All right. I read this book. I actually stole Dana's copy on holiday. It's by a Japanese artist whose name is Makoto Fujimura. And it's called Art and Faith, A Theology of Making. It is sublime. It's, it's cleverer than I am. He came to Christ as an adult. He, he was not at all in the practice of our faith. And he writes this account as an artist. I tried to look up, which I did, some of his artwork. It is sublime. I said to T, would you look up how much it costs? And when it says call for the price, you know, a.k.a. I cannot afford it. You know what I mean? It's like this is not a $200 version or even a thousand or a couple of thousands. This has a lot of zeros attached to it. But it's a sublime book that I will read many times. And in it, he introduces us to the art form called Kintsugi. How many of you know? Put that slide up, please, Marissa. How many of you know this art form? I'm interested. One, two, okay. Now, I didn't. So I was quite mesmerized by it and did a lot of reading around it. Here is the legend of how it came about. In the 1500s of 15th century, there was a shogun in Japan called Ashigaga Yoshimasa. And what he did is he had a favorite bowl that he took his tea in every day. It was his favorite bowl. It was a bowl of some beauty. But what happened, and I've heard two versions of the story. One said he dropped it. Another said a servant dropped it. He was desperately disappointed. Unlike our modern consumer age, he didn't throw it away. He sent it to China. And he asked them, it came from China, to repair it. Well, they sent it back to him with staples in and glued around the staples. He was deeply disappointed. And so he decided, this shogun was, to send it to some local Japanese artists, potters, and said, please, can you repair it? And this, ladies and gentlemen, is Kintsugi art. It's where a bowl has value. And what happens is when it breaks, chips or cracks, it is sent in and it is glued together with a specific adhesive, a lacquer, which is found only in a particular tree. This is in the original form. And that tree had to be between 10 and 20 years old. 
And they would tap about 100 cc's worth of glue, and it actually meant the end of the tree. The tree would die because it gave all its adhesive, its glue. And then the potter would sit with these broken pieces. The master, the kintsugi master, would sit with these broken pieces and systematically start gluing them together in about a three-month process. But if that was not beautiful enough, what they did to impress the shogun to satisfy him, is they sprinkled powdered gold into the adhesive. Am I right? Uh, Katie. The value of that is said to be more in its restored beauty than in its original cost. It has become an art form for which you train I don't know how long for, to be able to bring together a, a bowl that had intrinsic value, that broke, chipped, or cracked, was not dispensed with, but was kept, sent to a master restorer who would then take the glue from a tree, the adhesive that would kill the tree, and sprinkle it with gold dust so that the bowl or the cup would look far more beautiful in its new form than in its old form. Now, doesn't that just smack of the gospel to us? I, I could not. I've read it and reread it and cross-referenced it, and I was so incredibly compelled by the story. The fact that it had beauty and original value. The fact that sin and misuse does this to us. It breaks, chips, and cracks us. But the fact that we are not discarded because of our brokenness. And can I say that again? We are not discarded because of our brokenness. My fatherly heart grows out to you tonight no matter how broken you may be. Either by what you have done or by what others have done to you. God has not and will not discard you because of your original value. And then the tree gives its life. So powerfully, the cross, that Jesus gave all of his life, surrendered it all, died on the tree as the adhesive dies from the tree. The tree dies because it gives life to something else. And then how gloriously it's mixed with gold. And as I've looked and gone online and looked at Endless pictures of Kintsugi master artwork. I am so compelled by the beauty of that piece. And that to me is an incredible metaphor of what our Christian life is. Because the piece of the pottery ultimately becomes more valuable and is more worthy than the original. So, what does this have to do with confession? Everything I want to argue. Our scriptures, Ty did a great job last week, a line that I want to remind us of is, are you interested in God or committed to Him? But our scriptures are not a morality manual only. There is something way more beautiful than that. I want to argue because the series is in part about holiness, and forgive my passion, I haven't preached for about a month, and I just love this. 
So if I get a bit intense and I get a sweat on my brow and my blood veins stick out here and here, forgive me. But, but I want us to understand, most of us live with a residued understanding that holiness is a higher moral virtue that we must attain to that is a perpetual slap in the face because I'm not moral enough. And that what this does is it makes me betterer. But I want to argue holiness is not a call to a higher morality. It's an invitation to a greater and closer proximity. I want to say that again if you don't mind. It is not firstly a call to a higher morality. It is firstly an invitation to a closer proximity. Think for a moment with me if you don't mind. That moment on the cross in which Jesus was most humanly terrified, was it when they drove the nails into his hands and feet? No, it was not. Was it when they stabbed him with a spear? No, it was not. Was it when people spat at him and slapped him and demeaned him and gambled for his clothes? No, it was not. Was it when all of his friends dispersed and a few women and John left? No, it was not. The moment of greatest trauma for Jesus, and forgive me for those who are Hebrew scholars, was when he hung on the cross and he cried. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Proximity was the thing that Jesus found most terrifying on the cross. When we see holiness as a set of rules and a performance line and what we are to achieve, we miss the true foundation of holiness, which is closer proximity. I am closer to Jesus. That is my true goal. Jesus, they said, tell us, what, what are the commandments? Let's test you. Let's see how good a teacher you really are. And he looked with such affection on them and he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. With all of your heart, all of your soul, all your mind, all of your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. The thing that matters most to Jesus is proximity. And this invitation to a series is to give language to proximity. How can I walk closer and deeper with Jesus? Does it really matter? Well, it's a darkness-light question, isn't it? Because if I choose darkness, light will not prevail. You only need to ask a child when you flick the light off at night and they call in a traumatic moment, Dad, Mom, where are you? Where are you? Well, they know the house. They know the bedroom. They know their toys. They know their bed. They know the pictures on the wall. But darkness overwhelms and intimidates and terrifies. Mom, Dad, where are you? The thing that child wants most is not rules about candy and carbohydrates. It's proximity. There's a young Catholic father named Mike Schmidt. He's got a very fun YouTube channel, little short snippets. And he was talking about confession, and he said he's had uh, a number of people come and see him who haven't been, you know, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been 50 years since my last confession. And he says, well, would you like to confess? And he said some of the things they confessed were quite seemingly innocuous. You know, I've got anger, 
angry at my child or my wife or whatever. And when they'd finished making the confession, he says he asks them this question. Has God been number one in your life? Is God the center of your life? And he says, then they say invariably, well, I've tried to be a good person. To which he says, but that's not what I asked you. Has God been the center of your life? Proximity is what this conversation is all about, not firstly, morality. Makoto Fujimura, in this book, says, In Eastern Christianity, sacraments are called sacred mysteries. I love that phrase. The sacraments are called sacred mysteries. The obligation to confess may seem less rigid, and this may involve only some of the most regrettable sins, but here it comes, to experience God's forgiving love. If we think confession is simply meeting with someone and listing out all the times we've sinned in the last seven days, I want to argue we are missing the core central life-giving value and essence of confession, which is proximity to God to experience His forgiving love. I'm sure in a room like this, Fujimura's next two quotes will make sense. He said, The truth, of course, was that I was all my own self. My own impiety had divided me against myself. My sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. The truth was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. That is the most dangerous of humans. He, she who thinks they have no sin. I was just reading up on Friedrich Nietzsche. Ultimately took his life, if I remember correctly. And how despair overwhelmed him. And he wrote these high philosophical thoughts and ultimately brought himself to the place of no meaning. And, and one of the authors said he had great fury for those who rejected Christianity but embraced Christian morality. He could not believe their hypocrisy. How can you fight for the equality of man when you fight against the one who gave the equality of man? But my sin was... Fujimara writes that I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in him, but in myself and other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in him, but in myself. And his other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. Back to Father Smith who says, one of the key definitions of sin reads, God, I know what you want, but I don't care. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what I want to do. Now, the so-called Protestants in the 15th century recoiled against the abuses of confession in Catholicism. 
And tragically, it seems like they threw the baby out with the bathwater. There's not a lot written on confession within the evangelical reformed world. But Martin Luther, we need to remember, said this. Therefore, when I admonish you to confession, I'm admonishing you to be a Christian. He knew as a man who had been a monk at the power of confession, the confession of faith, I believe in Jesus as my Redeemer, Savior, and the confession of sin, I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I live in pain, confusion, and error. Here comes the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote. For those of you who don't know, he was a young German pastor who returned to Nazi Germany as the war was about to break out. Rather than take on a position of influence in academia in New York, he went back to pastor the pastors. And he said this, a man, can I add a woman, who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother or sister, knows he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I'm by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains dark. But in the presence of my brother, the sin has been brought into the light. Why? Because I want to restore my proximity with him who forgives me and loves me. That's my part added to it. Richard Foster. I wrote arguably one of the most read books on the... Um, Power of Disciplines? Whatever. He said this. Thanks, Terry. You're very helpful. Go back to Pasadena. Read a book. Make yourself helpful. All right. He said this. Confession is a difficult discipline for us, as we all too often view the believing community as the fellowship of saints before we see it as the fellowship of sinners. Everyone else is so advanced we feel that we feel isolated and alone in our sin. Tragedy upon tragedy. Let me pause here for a moment. Do you understand the cycle that's present? I argue for me to have the liberty to do the things I want to do. I want to justify them, taking me into a place of darkness, hoping then that the consequence of error and trauma and confusion can be replaced by me just being a little bit more. I'm going to sleep with my girlfriend just a little bit less. I'm going to lie just a little bit less. I'm going to steal just a little bit less. Hoping that will take me out of darkness. Dear, dear friends, it will not. Improved behavior and a quality of white-knuckled life is not what will take us out of darkness and into light. Why do you think there is so much anxiety even in the church? Because we're living in darkness. Well, I've confessed my sins to God. No, both texts says, if you confess your sins one to the other, God who is faithful and true will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all righteousness. Cleanse you of all your sin, etc., etc. I forget the rest of the verse. It's beautiful. It's an invitation to proximity. I'm going to tell you three quick stories. I feel very tender, but I think they will help. 
had a man who'd been a leader with me for some years asked to come and see me some years ago, and I'm obviously being vague. We sat down and we had coffee, and time together was not that strange or particular. It's what we did. And then he looked me in the eyes, very tender, eyes watering. He said, Chris, I have something to confess to you about, something you don't know. And I knew him pretty well, so I didn't quite know what to expect. He said, I came from a very complicated family. He said, my sense of masculinity was destroyed in the chaos and complexity of that world. And he said, I experimented in homosexuality. And at this point in time, he's weeping. I'd never had to deal with that. I'm not a therapist. I don't even think I'm a really good pastor. But I looked at him with such deep love and affection. And I asked some questions, not curiosity questions, how many guys, how often, but questions of clarity. Is that it? Is, is that the complete story? And when he was finished, I said, I want to ask you to do this. I want you to write it down right now. And he spent some time writing it down. And then we went outside to my backyard and we made a little fire and we burnt it. And I thought, I'll never talk about this again. And I haven't. He asked me some years later, did you? And I could say with integrity, no, I have not. Because the power of forgiveness is carried with it the power of cleansing. And I could visibly see a weight lift off his shoulders, not just because someone knew, that is beautiful, but because someone knew who brought me into the light. My job wasn't to say, ah, oh, we all struggle with a bit of lust. Yeah, we all experiment a little sexu with sexuality. It was to own that moment. This was a sacred moment. This was his moment. It wasn't mine. It wasn't for me to tell him, well, what I've struggled with and what I've done. It was to listen with sacred sensitivity to what God was doing into his life. Ask a few questions, yes, and then destroy it as at the feet of the cross, allowing God to forgive him and cleanse him from that. It was some months later, I think, when another man in our community, an older man, we were young, like you are. And uh, he said, Chris, can I meet you for coffee? And I said, sure. Wonderful man, wonderful family. And I could see as we sat down, he looked at me for a while, almost as if to weigh me up. Can I trust you? Now, we knew each other. We golfed together. And then he plucked up the courage and he said, I have to tell you, I had an affair with my wife's best friend years ago. And I sat there once again perplexed. What do I do with this? How do I handle this? But I knew it was a sacred moment. It wasn't my moment to explain away his sin. It wasn't my moment to dig into it. How often, with whom, what was her name? It was mine to make sure that he had the full liberty and freedom to confess all that was in his soul. Lead him through a prayer of forgiveness. And then speak forgiveness over him. I'm going to read a scripture to you in a moment. Two actually. One last one. Had a man come to see me. Older than me. 
also sat as if sizing me up. Can I trust you with this piece of knowledge? Eventually plucked up the courage and he said to me, I have to tell you, I had a very broken family, which I knew. My father walked out on me when, and on us when I was very young. And he said, my mom took me as her comfort and strength. But then I became her sexual partner from when I was a teenager. I looked into his eyes and I could see the weight that this had carried upon him. And the stain on his soul and the sense of soil on his hands. And I knew this was a sacred moment. Not a flippant moment, not to be thrown around lightly as if it had no impact. This was a very sacred moment because there is power, dear friends, in confession. And I walked him basically through the same notion. It's sacred. I listen. I ask needed questions, not for curiosity's sake, but for clarifying sake. I lead them in the prayer of forgiveness as I draw him back into proximity. This is not a moment, well, do you promise you'll never sleep with your mother again? This is a moment of sacredness where God peels the weight and the stain and the shame of that period of time of his life. And then forgive them. Yeah, you forgive them. Luke 17, 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. John 20, 23. If he repents, forgive him. John 20, 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a mysterious power that we have in forgiveness. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable because we are sinners just like them. But the power after heeding their cry and listening to their confession to say, as Jesus forgives you, so do I. From darkness to light. And yes, you may, as Jesus did, call the woman who was caught in the act of adultery to sin no more. Yes. We need never fear that line with grace and mercy and kindness. So, let us land. Let me summarize what does confession do with three statements. You still with me? Do you see how magnificent this is? Do you see how this is the, the, the artwork of God who takes our brokenness and adhes the adhesive of the cross glues us together with the powder gold to bring together someone more beautiful, more complete, more valuable. Christianity is not a fellowship of saints. It is theologically, but in practice, we are a fellowship of sinners, not one of us need hide thinking, if they only knew this about me, what would they do? And may we never be a community that rejects anyone because of what they did. That no sin is too great, no experience too traumatic, no confusion and error too exaggerated that we dismiss you from our ranks, turn our back on you as if to say, how can you live a life like that?
So what does confession do? One, it restores proximity to God. There it is. Isn't that what matters? Restore proximity to God. Remember the beautiful story of Mary, not his mother, but his friend, who John says she prepared him for burial. And if the story is true, they were sitting at Lazarus's house, or maybe the sequence is slightly different, and she takes a year's worth of perfume, a year's salary. What do you make? 60,000? 70,000? 100,000? 150,000? And you take that amount of perfume and you pour it over him. What mattered to Mary? It was not her wage or spirituality or her morality. Forgive my vivid imagination as I see her, as he sits there dripping with perfume. And then she starts humming. Lost in her own world of worship as she dances around him. And dances some more. And Judas is sitting there saying, surely we should have given the money to the poor. And Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. As she worshipped around him. Because confession restores proximity so that I might know him again. What do you do as parents? And most of you are not, but you were a child once. Don't we send them to the room as one form of discipline? And what do we do when they come back? Don't we get on our knees and put our arms out and hold that child, offering them indispensable, endless love and affection, not holding their sin against them, but showing them the depth of the love that you have for them as you kiss them on every cheek and you hold them tightly. Daddy loves you. Mommy loves you. Is that not confession, which is proximity to God? I know him, I sense him, I feel him, I hear him, I proclaim him. 1 John 1 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Are, are you listening, dear friends? Do, do you understand the freedom and the power that tonight's message applied can produce? You are living in darkness, some of you. It has been too traumatic and too difficult, especially if the sin is not yours. Meryl and I watched a movie last night, quite a dark movie. What is it called? Uh, your Gray Eyes, your something. Christian Bale, his latest movie. And I won't spoil it as I can on occasion. But when you see what sin does and the proximity that is desired... But if we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The second thing is confession removes the effects of this rebellion called sin. The shame, the guilt, the isolation, the anxiety, the blame. Sin, a, a, a confession removes the effects of this rebellion. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light... And we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's the daddy 
one of my sweetest moments. Dear, I hope you don't mind, but uh, I remember a day I came home. The girls were small. And Dana, out of character, had been very cheeky towards Meryl. I chatted, back-chatted, and I took her to the room, and I spanked her bum. And um, um, we had a little formula of how we did it. It was never out of anger or it was out of discipline. But on this occasion, Dana was more tender and more weepy. She's a strong girl. And when she came out the room, I picked her up and I held her, but I knew there was something else going. And I said, D-Dad's going to take you. And I, I took her down to a little park that was about 400 meters from our home. And I put her on the swing. And I let the swing do its rhythmic pleasure. And I said, D, what's really going on here? How old is she, babe? Five years old or something? And she told me. Confession brings me proximity back to the Father. Confession removes the effects of this rebellion. Shame, 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 shame. Lastly, confession realigns me to this divine life. It's biblical authenticity. This is a happy kid. It's biblical authenticity whereby I measure myself against the text and I'm invited back to a story of godliness and holiness and purity. That's the invitation. I realign myself. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I'm 64. I hope to be more pure than I am. I'd hope to be a nicer guy than I am. I, I hope to be more loving and caring and grace-filled and sensitive than I am. But how many times have I had to go back to God and say, please realign me to this divine life. Personal authenticity Personal authenticity, meaning I live what I am. I know you as a generation, I mean, what does Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher, call it? The age of authenticity. I, I know authenticity is big, but it's also about you. Is, is, is the public persona and the private persona the same? Is there personal authenticity? Well, confession realigns them. And then lastly, community authenticity where who you are, people see. There's no other you. It's just one you. Okay. The master art of Kintsugi is when a dish of beauty and worth is broken, cracked, or chipped. The owner of the plate has such affection for the plate that he sends them to a master artist. And the master artist goes to a tree of some 10 to 20 years old and taps out about 100 cc's of glue, knowing that this would kill the tree, but give life to that piece of pottery. The master artist then takes that collection of broken pieces, the adhesive, and he sprinkles generously. Can you put that picture up again, please, Mercer? Generously 
gold into the adhesive. It takes about three months as a process. And the common sense is then that that is now a new creation. It has new life. It has been authored by new birth. And it's now more valuable, more beautiful, more loved than it ever was before. That, dear friends, is confession. Where God takes my brokenness and he puts me back together. The cross, well, the adhesive had to be tapped out. And the gold, well, that's being purified in us all the time. The hope is that in my new creation, new life, new birth, I would become a piece of pottery in the hand of the master potter to be more beautiful, more valuable, and more aesthetically pleasing than ever before. Would you close your eyes, please? See, I obviously don't know all of your stories. We did pray for you. Each chair we prayed for this evening, asking God to meet with you in a unique way. I don't know what sins are you carry, but I know darkness and I know light. And I want to invite us this evening to the table. Because at the table, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no rich or poor. There's no male or female. There is just human beings that come to the table and allow God to get hold of the broken pieces of our lives. And the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, knowing that this was a picture of the broken pieces of your life and mine. He knew that it would cost him everything. A hundred cc's worth of adhesive would be tapped from him and he would die. But his brokenness was for our brokenness. And then he took the cup and he said, I want you to drink. Because when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Therein lies our hope. I want you to come to the table this evening. I'll release you in rows. One, take some bread, take some wine. Those who are hosting will bless you. But you can either sit by yourself or with a friend and make simple confession. Not a long story. That can be during the week. But in the moment, I am out of proximity with Jesus. That is a good confession. I live under the effects of my rebellion and sin. That is a good confession. I need to realign my life to his divine life. That is a good confession. While Tyler prays, can the team who are hosting this please join me now?
They will speak blessing over you in your holy confession. If you can find a moment and a person to offer the simplest of confessions. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken. Take, eat. The Kintsugi Sugi God, the master potter, is at work in you and me. Take, eat, and do it in remembrance of Him. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was spilt so that there can be true, full, and complete cleansing. Not partial. This is not a bad stain remover. It's a complete stain removal. Take, eat, take, drink. In His wonderful name, with the first row, the first row of chairs, please come up.